Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Okay, I know for some people this is really annoying, but we are moving into fall. And we're moving into our Halloween (laughs) spooky content season. Uh, We've been waiting for this all year. We have. We have. And we've definitely already planned out episodes two months ago. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) There's going to be some fiction, we think. Oh my gosh, so exciting. I know. Um, And we just did one on true crime and why women love true crime. And in that, we talked about serial killers briefly and why women in particular might love or romanticize serial killers out of curiosity, because you have more like experience in this world of like true crime than I do. Do you prefer like the fictional take on serial killers or do you prefer like the movies that are like, I don't know, like Zodiac where it's based on it, but pretty fictionalized? Or do you prefer like the true crime um, documentary show? You know, I've actually not watched too many based on true events type of things. So when Mm -hmm. it comes to movies with like, especially right now, as we've noticed, big stars are trying to portray these characters. I don't watch that. And I don't know if it's because, yeah, it weirds me out to see uh, Zac Afron portraying a serial killer from way back when. And this level of like, I get it. He like. For him, it's a thing about trying to be an actor and all of these things. But for the person who casts him, it, it is very much a super like Hollywood level of telling the story. And I find that weirds me out a little bit. Yeah. Um, and that's a whole different conversation. I would rather see conversations about what they found and what they saw and like documentation and, and layouts of that. I think that's why I love like uh, Snapped, mm-hmm. which is essentially just like a play-by-play and has interviews with either victims, victims' families, and that's it. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of what it, of course, they have bad reenactments. And I'm, when I say bad, I mean real bad uh, <laughs> reenactments in them. But at least you get to hear from not only the police, not only the uh, detectives, but the family members who may have been affected by it. So you can hear that level. So that makes mm-hmm. me feel a little better to watch it in that realm than a whole mm-hmm. completely dramatized version of it. Because I also know that. That's one of the big things is uh, the estate of uh, oftentimes the perpetrator to get money. Yeah. It's really gross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the consideration. I guess we didn't go too deeply into this in our true crime one, but the kind of that monetizing of someone else's. We talked about it a little bit, but the monetizing of someone else's trauma. And it does feel weird when you're not sure where it's going and who we're glorifying. I mean, to be fair, some of the people who were involved, which were including detectives and lawyers, they monetized, they made money off of it yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like in some of the lesser, lesser done is not the right, they're not bad, but sometimes you can tell people who were affected by this are like, oh, I can get money off of it. Yeah. And sometimes those are family members. Um, right. And it's true. I mean, they're not wrong. It's just odd that we do have this kind of environment of, okay, let's 
let's make this into entertainment for people to eat up and discuss. And I always am like, try to remind yourself, yes, there are real people behind this. And they did go through something really traumatic. Uh, I once watched Zodiac on an airplane. (laughs) And I foolishly thought it wouldn't be that violent or graphic. And there was a kid sitting next to me And I remember having this moment of like, (laughs) should I turn this off? Like, (laughs) (laughs) these people are getting murdered and there's like an eight-year-old child sitting next to me. (laughs) Oh, no. But I mean, isn't that strange? Like, you watch it on a plane. Um, Just something to have on in the background. Right. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I do find it hard. I think even fictionalized cases. I say that as if it's somehow better. It's not necessarily. But I, I even then, because I feel like I have a hard line of, I can watch horror. I love horror. But I can tell myself this didn't really happen. Right. And I struggle with things where I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're not wrong because I don't typically watch movies, full-fledged movies with Hollywood actors and like high uh, revenue or how high cost productions because mm-hmm. I... And this may be a prime example. Um, so once upon a time in Hollywood, they depicted things that actually happened. And that's just a whole new level of like, what? Just having like it being retold to you and you kind of mm-hmm. not necessarily even like, I, I can't get into anything that tells me too many details. Like, why would you want to read that? You don't, I don't need to read that. I just don't want to know, gloss it over, tell me what happens, move on. Mm-hmm. But to have a full-fledged, reenactment of the violent events to me seems like in such poor taste and yeah. they glorified this in a lot and maybe they maybe some of these movies didn't do it but I know that the Sharon Tate murder was uh, kind of reenacted in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood of course there's other things wrong with that movie and <laughs> racism and sexism and all of that including but just many of those things like it's just kind of like why would you do that there was no point to that but that they do it to get that viewership. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I I was thinking about that when we were discussing in that episode of like, there's that line of like sex cells and violent cells and the people who are now making those TikTok videos, I think is actually really clever. And if you haven't heard this episode yet, um, we were just talking about usually women who are making TikTok videos who are also makeup videos. But that's like a really clever combination of combining makeup videos with maybe you would be listening to a podcast in the background, but also giving you like a way to separate yourself out. But there are instances like that where it just feels so clear that you're just pretty callously thinking, oh, this will this will sell. Or like right. you take this murder of this woman and right. this will sell. All of that to say... <laughs> We did want to bring back some of our our classic episodes that we did on women who are serial killers and our fascination with them, our cultural fascination with them. So please enjoy part one of this two-part classic look at women who are serial killers. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mo Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
Today, we are tackling a uh, topic that I think a lot of you probably are, you know, familiar with. Right. Because we were just discussing before we started, there's so many podcasts. So many podcasts. Dedicated to serial killers. Yes. Yes. And even some two female serial killers. Right. Um, and I, I was so excited when we were talking about, you know, it's Halloween time. We need to do things. And I'm like, well, one of the things I'm interested in are female serial killers because I find it fascinating and I love watching things like Snapped, which is not necessarily about serial killers, but why women kill or any of those reasons. And I'm like, it's so different from your typical like BTK or any of that that I kind of dive into it. So I was like, let's talk about that. Didn't realize how much work that was going to be. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this one turned into a two-parter. Um, should have realized to that if there are entire podcasts where one episode is dedicated to a lot of the killers that we're going to talk about on here. Right. <laughs> that, of course, it would be hard to wrangle into one episode. Right. I think also what's really funny is um, all the YouTube channels. Not funny, but just how many YouTube channels there are dedicated to yeah. these investigations, these theories, these reasonings. It's, it's, it's a whole thing. It is. Um, it's a whole genre. It is extremely popular among some people. I actually am not... People are always kind of shocked because I'm not into true crime. Um, this was, a lot of this was very new to me. Yeah. Um, well, you and I, when we sat down and I started telling you about all of them, you're like, well, how many? There's like, you know, three or four. And I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the, there was a lot. I've learned a lot. Um, and so, yeah, we, we split this into two episodes. This first part is kind of more like a basis of what we're talking about and then history, <laughs> serial killers of lore of history and, right. um, you know, older ones. And then in part two, we'll look at some more modern serial killers. Modern. Yes. yes. <laughs> I am fascinated because one of the things that I also love is watching things like Criminal Minds, SVU, all of those things. Not that SVU has the right. part. But much like any of the other shows, they take what really happened and then make it, you know, even more so crazy. And re reading all of these, I'm like, oh, wow, that's in this episode <laughs> of the yeah, show. I, uh, most of the ones I know are the older ones because something like Supernatural has them as ghosts. Right, right. Um, but, both, yeah, I was kind of shocked at how um, I sort of missed a lot of this. Right. And I was trying to think about, because there was rumors of a serial killer where I grew up, I don't know if it's a serial killer, but there was a person who was killing young women. And I remember that fear of, you know, suddenly going somewhere alone. is like, you can't do it. In having Georgia? a curfew. Mm -hmm. huh. uh, he, I well, that one. I don't know. I, I, don't, I think he was caught fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, something else we, before we get into this. Trigger warning for violence, sexual assault, and necrophilia, general grisliness. Um, yeah. I was just thinking when that happened, when that serial killer thing was happening, one of my friends um, went missing. Oh, wow. She was, was totally fine. Okay. She just didn't communicate well with anyone where she was going, so everyone thought she was somewhere else and she was none of those places. Ooh. But for like a couple of hours, we, we thought like maybe she had been uh, the victim. Because her wow. parents like called in a panic and were like, yeah. where... And I threw up from, like, nerves. Right. Um, so just, like, un an understanding as we go through this that these are real people, right. real victims. Some of them, I imagine, like, every year in an anniversary or something, gets, right. they get contacted by reporters. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Right. Um, and I think a lot of the things that you and I, the reason I had said before that I'm fascinated by them is because 
um, of the backstory and of the reasonings and, and of why. I'm very caught up in that. Of course, I think that's specific, like my social work and my education. And also that I work with youths who get into trouble. Mm-hmm. And not that they're going to come out as serial killers or anything, but you see the beginnings of, oh, these are the foundations of why things may have happened or gone down this road. And again, not to excuse anything or anyone, but it's really kind of fascinating to have a whole history and look at that individual. Yeah, and uh, you are certainly not the only one who has fascination. Um, So let's start with a definition. From the Federal Bureau of Investigation, a serial killer is um, a series of two or more murders committed as separate events, usually but not always by one offender acting alone. Um, The murders typically take place over several months to allow for a cooling-off period, usually an emotional period. Um, And this is what separates it from, like, a mass murder. Right. but this definition is not without its flaws. And you, like me, may be shocked to learn that it's kind of hard to come on an accepted, generally accepted definition, actually. Uh, gang members, in theory, could meet that criteria, for example. Serial killers frequently, but not always, have a sexually deviant motive. But this is not usually true for female serial exactly. killers. Yep. Uh, more on that in a moment. The National Institute of Justice includes that in their definition. Their definition being two or more murders with a psychological motive and a sexually deviant overtone. In that way, it could be classified as a sex crime. But again, not all serial killers, especially female ones, have displayed sexually deviant behavior. The Zodiac Killer is a famous example of a male serial killer who is not sexually motivated. And side note, when uh, I, I was in ninth grade and we were, for some reason, we all took this test in class because we were reading Dante's Inferno and we took this quiz about which serial killer you would be and I got the Zodiac. I have so many questions, but not so much about why <laughs> you would be, but why why were y'all taking these weird know. tests? I don't know. <laughs> and it was, there, there were like... For people who got someone like, say, Jack the Ripper, they, we would kind of look at them askew. Because <laughs> I felt like the Zodiac was a bit of a, like, safer sh- one to I was going to say, are you sure it wasn't the FBI testing <gasps> your group of people just, just to check and be like, oh, we're going to go ahead and flag them? Oh, no. I hope not. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so women, female serial killers, are often motivated by financial reasons, altruism, Sympathy or love. And if you're like, how the hell can that be (laughs) when killing people for altruism? Um, We do have a lot of examples of that in in these episodes. And it could be something like uh, killing a baby who in the killer's mind has no future. Um, So although I imagine it's simple enough uh, to remember a time in your life when you in passing thought about killing someone or hurting someone, because they, they had done you wrong or they'd done someone you love wrong. But you didn't do it, but you had the thought. Well, it's kind of like, um, I just recently read, I think it was a tweet that said, if you haven't at least thought about killing your significant other at least once, you didn't truly love them. <laughs> that was one. <laughs> and then also, in like, I, so I married an axe murderer. Uh-huh. Love that movie. Have you seen this movie? No. <sighs> Son of a biscuit. Okay. Uh, it's Mike Myers, one of his first movies. Okay. He's in bed with his wife at that point, and she was like, I, I, it's so intimate, we're so close that I can just kill you at any moment. Like, he freaks out because obviously at the beginning, the whole synopsis of the movie is that, is she a killer or whatever? Okay. But yeah, but I thought it was really kind of funny. I'm like, oh, yeah, like you can trust, you have to really trust that you're not going to get that other person. Well, you know, I that's one thing I was thinking about when I was researching this, because again, this is all pretty new to me. Um 
Because you always hear they they seem so normal, they fit right. in, all the all those things. But for a lot of these cases, maybe the person did seem normal unless you were like the authorities. Because a lot of them could have been caught like way right. earlier. And that surprised me. Because I always heard that kind of trope like, oh, they're so normal. I would never right. would have guessed. And that's still there. But a lot of them had run-ins with the law, right. like got arrested for something very similar were called in, like social services was called in. Right. That kind of blew my mind. Right. Well, some experts think that there's not or there shouldn't be a strict definition, but rather a prototype and varying degrees to fitting that prototype. Yeah, yeah. Seer killings are about as old as humanity is, our dark shadow haunting all corners of the world where people reside. I did read something. I wasn't able to verify it, but I did read that there are more serial killers in the United States. They are relatively rare, though, making up less than 1% of murders annually. And on top of that, only 15% of that 1% are female or estimated to be female. So that's about one in six serial killers is female. Despite, or maybe because of, the small percentage, we humans have a morbid fascination with serial killers. This is from an official FBI report on serial killers. Quote, There is a macabre interest in the subject, in the topic that far exceeds its scope and has generated countless articles, books, and movies. This broad-based public fascination began in the late 1880s after a series of unsolved prostitute murders occurred in the Whitechapel area of London. These murders were committed by an unknown individual who named himself Jack the Ripper and sent letters to the police claiming to be the killer. The report even cites Silence of the Lambs as kickstarting our kind of cultural interest in serial killers, or like re-kickstarting it, and goes out on to point out that the media's portrayal of serial killers causes confusion about what is a serial killer, what constitutes a serial killer. And the FBI, in, in this report, they go through some of the resulting pervasive myths point by point. So a big one is um, not all serial killers are loners. A lot of them have families and or are very active in their community. Not all serial killers are white males. A lot of them are, but not all of them. Uh, not all serial killers are sexually motivated. Not all serial killers travel by interstate. Serial killers can stop killing, the myth being that they can't stop, but they can. Um, serial killers are either insane or evil geniuses. Actually, they usually have average IQ. They're not one of those things, which is what we typically see in the media. Right. Mm -hmm. So a long-held myth has been that women can't be serial killers. Even seasoned FBI agents and detectives have made that claim fairly recently. An evolutionary psychologist at Penn State Harrisburg, Marissa Harrison, pauses, we don't want to believe or just plain don't believe that women are capable of such horrendous things. But history has shown us that women can be serial killers. This disconnect means that women get away with their crimes for twice as long on an average as men. Harrison conducted a study on 64 American female serial killers who were active between 1821 to 2008. She looked at their demographics and found that on average in their 20s or 30s, an average intelligence, a Christian, middle class, and married. The total body count for these women are 331 people, wow. which is pretty impressive. More than half of those victims were children, and about a fourth were the elderly or already ill. Harrison's analysis also found female serial killers were more likely to kill someone they knew, like 90% of the time. Wow. As opposed to the strangers often targeted by male serial killers, 85% of the time men hunt, women gather, to oversimplify. And then female killers more frequently used poison as their method of choice and were often employed in caregiving field. 
many had suffered physical and or sexual abuse and primarily were white women. So that means I'm safe. Yeah. Right. No. I might not kill you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> of the two of us, I don't know. I think well, you're more likely to be the zero it's going, it's, it's going to what movie you watch, I guess. <laughs> and even in the media, nicknames for women are gendered, whereas the media nicknames for men generally are more indicative of the brutality of their crimes. Right. And yeah, uh, we have plenty of horrific examples of female serial killers throughout history. And we'll get into some of them after a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Disclaimer. We're back with a disclaimer. Everyone loves those. Uh, Before we get started... A lot of these stories, especially the older ones, which are the ones we're tackling in this one, have perhaps been exaggerated, sensationalized uh, over the years, or were actually, I found this interesting, stories of men lying about women to get them out of power. Mm -hmm. Um, Our fascination with serial killers only exacerbates our tendency to exaggerate, and uh, there are a lot of bad resources out there, right. a lot of uh, misinformation. So we, d- we did our best to get the good stuff, but want to say that at the top. <laughs> and you got to also remember, you're going to, you'll probably be familiar with some of these stories as well. And yeah. that's because it's been, again, sensationalized or dramatized just for entertainment's sake. So it's kind of like, oh no, right. how do we get through all of these? Right. Um, <laughs> and I also want to say, this is, a, I guess, so much Oh, no, maybe it is. Um, I was going to say this didn't happen as much in these older examples, but I think it did. A lot of these sources that we found always went out of their way to say this person wasn't attractive. How in the world could they have had a boyfriend, a husband, a lover, whatever, or that they were too pretty to be killers? So that's gross. Super gross. It's still all about the looks. Like you're not pretty enough. To kill. So I you're read definitely that, not, you're too pretty to I, I read in multiple places, particularly about one example we're going to talk about, that she people thought she was too ugly to have, because she was, like, having sex with men and then killing them, and right. they're like, no way. Right. That's, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so... Some historians posit the first recorded serial killer was actually female, Locusta, the poisoner, or Locusta of Gaul, who murdered and assassinated people, particularly with poison, as the nickname might suggest, over 2,000 years ago in ancient Rome. Others argue that she wasn't really a serial killer, but she was more of a hired assassin. But uh, let's let's talk about her for a second. Um, Nero's mother, Agrippina the Younger, employed her, Locusta, as an assassin for hire. Legend goes that she was assigned to the poisoning of Agrippina's husband, Emperor Claudius, and members of the imperial family so as to make a path for Nero to rise up the ranks. Locusta was arrested for her role in Emperor Claudius's death, but Nero overturned her death sentence uh, and got her out of jail and appointed her as the official poisoner of the imperial Roman court. <laughs> the official poisoner. Dang. Yeah. I guess she got paid to do what she loves. <laughs> she did, and she also opened a school to teach others the art and science of poison. The knowledge she passed on may have led to over 10,000 deaths. With Nero's blessing, she experimented on animals, criminals, and slaves. Historians suspect she also murdered and molested children using their blood for 
alchemy. She was described as possessing titanic cruelty. She was publicly executed in 69 CE after Nero killed himself with one of her poison daggers. Um, and the new emperor condemned her to death. A widely popular but most likely untrue story is that she was raped to death by a specially trained giraffe and then torn apart and devoured by wild animals while an enormous crowd looked on. That is what, if you type in her name, will come up. A giraffe. So warning about that one. I've never heard of nope. any use of giraffe as... Me either. An um, execution tool. <laughs> I have not either. That's why I have my doubts. But ancient Rome was up to some not-so-great stuff. One of history's most infamous and notorious female serial killers is Elizabeth Bathory, the Hungarian countess that is believed to have tortured and killed upwards of 650 teenage female peasants between 1585 and 1610. And this is one of the ones that you and I, I was talking about yeah. as one of the big examples. Um, that number has never been verified and was a number an eyewitness reported seeing in a diary, but then that diary has never been found, so who knows? Her family owned Transylvania, and they were an interesting bunch of people. They were. <laughs> One of her uncles introduced her to Satanism at a very young age, and an aunt did the same for sadomasochism. Mm -hmm. So what a, what a great family. Um, records indicate that she witnessed the torture of peasants by her father's officer as a child, including one account of a peasant being sewn into a dying horse's stomach and left to die. That must have been really small. I guess so. No? Or maybe just... Contorted. Contor oh, oh. Yeah, you're right. She herself has was prone to fits of rage. By the time she married Count Nadasti, she be, had begun torturing servant girls. And after the Count died, she began kidnapping, torturing, and killing them. It was widely believed she ate the flesh and bathed in the blood her, of her victims in hopes of holding on to her youth. The rumors about her are rampant. That she pushed needles into the nails of servant girls or tied them down, covered them up with honey, and set bees and ants on them. Her favorite implement of torture was reportedly scissors. Once she was discovered, she was sentenced to live out her days in solitary in her castle, which, hey, that must be nice. That's what power gets you, huh? I guess so. Just to get to hang out. But she was actually walled in, and some stories claiming she only had slits for food and water and air. Yeah. So I guess it had to be pretty dark. After only three years, she died in 1614. She was known to some as the Blood Countess. Worth mentioning, some historians believe that all of this was politically motivated slander spread by her relatives to get a hold of Elizabeth's land, and so that King Matthias II would not have to pay back a debt that he owed her family. Basically, she was a powerful, wealthy woman with strategic land, and so men in power sought to ruin her and take her wealth. Hey, Annie. Yes? Did you know you can actually visit her castle today? Uh, well, I do now. And you can purchase the Bathory blood wine? I wonder what kind of grapes they use for that. I think it's a Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. I think so. But yeah, if you look up female serial killers, a lot of times she's listed as the, one of the most prolific in history, like right. female or otherwise. But a lot of historians think she oh, this was rumor. Really? And it was to lock her in the castle so, so that she, she wouldn't have power. And yeah, from what I understand, she was kind of the beginning of how Dracula yes. began. Yeah, she was, she's thought to be the inspiration, one of the inspirations for Bram Stoker's Dracula. 18th century Russian noblewoman Daria Nikolaevna Saltikova is believed to have killed over 100 servant girls by beating and torturing them. She was well-connected and widowed at the age of 26, making her the wealthiest widow in Russia at that time. She had a nice property that she inhabited with two of her sons and over 600 serfs. For a while, 
nothing seemed amiss, and she was somebody well-respected. She donated churches and charities, but after a love affair ended with her lover leaving her for another woman, a younger woman, mm. Saltykova apparently started to take her anger out on unfortunate serfs, primarily young women. Mm -hmm. She killed women and children, throwing them out in the cold, pouring boiling water on them, breaking their bones. At first, complaints about her actions were ignored because she was so well-off and her victims so poor. But eventually, the protest of grieving families grew too loud to ignore, and she was charged with the murder of 38 women. And then, two serfs escaped the estate in 1762, and they bought a petition for uh, Empress Catherine II, who ordered an investigation. She was found sane and unremorseful. This is Saltykova, <laughs> uh, not the Empress Catherine II. Right. Um, Saltykova was sentenced to a civil execution at Moscow's Red Square, which consisted of a public beating and then an hour spent with a sign chained around her neck that read, this woman has tortured and murdered. She spent the next several years living in complete darkness in a convent basement. Only for meals was she granted some light in the form of a candle. She was eventually transferred and died in 1801 after 33 years. Civil execution. Yeah. That's an interesting I guess it's like, by, like they killing your reputation. Yeah, yeah, which I would think just by being convicted. Yeah, but they wanted to have a whole public guess, thing for I guess, it. I guess it was like that form of Twitter. Yeah, I mean, and I mean as Lauren also, my friend, co-worker Lauren often says, there was no Netflix back then. <laughs> so this was their entertainment. Mm -hmm. In 1831, Geisha, or Gusha, Gottfried was arrested and publicly executed in front of a crowd of 35,000 people in Bremen, Germany, the city's last public beheading. The spot is marked with a basalt stone or a spinning stone, over a 14-year span, she used arsenic to poison 15 people, including her parents, her children, her two husbands, and friends. Wow. So she, she, you know, she's a really great person. Some speculate that she had Munchausen syndrome by proxy. She was well-liked, and before she was found out, she was actually known as the Angel of Bremen. They used her death mask, or as Annie, you just explained to me, was what? So it's this um, obsolete pseudoscience that... Um where they would try to predict mental traits based on the bumps on your skull, among other things. So they used hers right. to try to predict female criminology. Female, yeah, female patterns. And also, just want to mention, because I've never heard of this before, but that spitting stone thing, that's literally a place where locals People, spit. That's what like, it sounded, yeah. So I'm thinking they used that so they could spit on her blood, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you can visit this stone. It's still there. And I was looking at the tourist thing, and it said, don't be alarmed if you see locals spitting on the ground at this one spot. It's our spitting stone. So we need to start going ahead and planning our next trips to all of these different places. <laughs> okay, well, we're going to have to <laughs> bounce it out because uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be drinking the wine. Yes. Um, but I actually have been to this next place, um, which is Madame Marie Delphine LaLaurie's house. Uh, so, yeah, that's who we're talking about. Uh, many of you may know this one from American Horror Story, or perhaps from a ghost tour you've taken in New Orleans. Madame LaLaurie was a slave owner, owner of a massive plantation, and a socialite who threw these huge, lavish parties. She married three times. Um, her first two husbands died. Her third husband was um, a doctor named Leonard LaLaurie. Rumors persisted of Madame LaLaurie's cruelty to her slaves, but these rumors 
remained unsubstantiated. One man, afraid of Madame LaLaurie's punishments, flung himself from a third-story window, a window that remains cemented shut to this day. Another girl, Leah, who was whipped after brushing LaLaurie's hair too hard, um, also jumped from a window or maybe fell. Some people witnessed LaLaurie burying her body. So these two instances, there is a lot of lore about Madame LaLaurie. Um, These two are the ones that most of historians agree happened. Actually happened. Right. Um, So, Madame LaLaurie was fined $300 for burying this body um, and had to sell off nine of her slaves, but she just got her family to rebuy them and then give them back to her. And the authorities looked the other way. I think they kind of knew that was happening and just didn't really care enough to, to do anything. In 1834... A slave of Madame LaLaurie's chained to the stove set a fire in the hopes of killing herself. When authorities arrived to the scene, they found this elderly enslaved woman chained to the stove, and she informed them that she had started the fire to end her life because she had been told she would be taken to the attic and no one returned from the attic. And also there was a lot of um, neighbors kind of gathering at this point because they'd seen Madame LaLaurie collecting like furs and jewelry or, or items but not really caring that about her slaves that right. were in this house and right. they were wondering like where are they um so of course the authorities went into the attic and what they found was horrifying slaves were chained with spiked iron collars clearly tortured and in many cases their skin had been flayed accounts Oh, there's so many stories this is one of the things where people aren't really sure <laughs> because as time went on they got Um, more and more grotesque. Um, Accounts tell of slaves with limbs missing, still alive or missing their tongues, mouth sewn shut, one slave's skull being sawed off with a spoon in his brains. Another reportedly had her legs and arms broken and reset to resemble a crab. Um, Yet another was wrapped in her own human intestines. Slaves in cages, corpses and body parts littered about a bucket of heads. A woman whose skin had been peeled off in spiral patterns so as to resemble a caterpillar. Some sources claim that there were only a handful of victims. Others claim that there were over 100. And it's really hard to separate rumors and all the things that were sensationalized over time from fact. But yes, the records seem to indicate for sure they were slaves in the attic, right. and that they had been tortured and chained with inward-facing spiked collars. Outraged by these heinous acts are maybe just the fact that she left her slaves in the attic to burn in a fire. A mob of 4,000 people formed to find Madame LaLaurie, but she was nowhere to be found. Um, the story goes that she escaped with her slave uh, car driver, um, fled to Paris. A plaque in the St. Louis Cemetery asserts that she died in Paris. Um, Some believe she faked her death in Paris and returned to New Orleans to live out her life, something she never actually left New Orleans. In New Orleans lore, she is known as the Savage Mistress. So like all the other names on this list, fascination has led to a lot of dissection and speculation of her story and her motives. Um, Some posit that her husband may have been the main culprit, driving her to violence and committing a lot of it himself as demented medical tests. In some tellings, he was experimenting with Haitian voodoo potions in the attempt to make slaves more docile. 
Others' versions say that the 1771 murder of Madame Lalaurie's uncle by slaves, along with Haitian slave revolt and her experience during the 1811 slave uprisings in New Orleans, led to a general atmosphere of increased tolerance of violence against slaves. Even though Louisiana, in theory, had one of the only laws in the books to prevent cruelty against the enslaved, and that all of these events had a huge influence of Lalaurie's behavior. Over 100 slaves were beheaded as a result of the 1811 uprising, which is a lot. Yeah. Their heads were put on display and their corpses hung from the city gates. Some historians claim that unfortunately and disturbingly enough, slave owners were so terrified of their slaves killing them in their sleeps, despite iron collars were not actually unusual, especially in rural parts of Louisiana. However, that kind of brutality was not as common or perceived as acceptable in New Orleans, which is probably why such a large mob formed after discovering what Madame LaLaurie did. When English writer Harriet Martineau arrived to New Orleans in 1836, details of it became murky, um, more embellished, giving birth to the legend of the gory ghost story that is Madame LaLaurie. Yeah. Yeah, that one I is one of the ones I am familiar with. Um, and speaking of ghost stories, I have another one I'm familiar with. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. And we're back with Lizzie Borden. Yes. Yes. So there is a kind of rhyme about her. Lizzie Borden took an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Right. So, yeah, in the 1890s, Lizzie Borden allegedly killed her father and stepmother with an axe. Her family was well off, and Lizzie was an unmarried 32-year-old Sunday school teacher. One morning when her father returned home, Lizzie informed him that Mrs. Borden, her stepmother, whom she did not get along with, had left the house. He went into the living room to sit on the sofa. The maid was not feeling well and retreated to her room to lie down for a bit. She awoke to Lizzie screaming that her father was dead. His face was horribly bashed in and disconfigured. Sullivan, the maid, um, ran to get a doctor. Neighbors called the police. Lizzie told the gathering crowd that her family hadn't been feeling well for days and she suspected poisoned milk. Her story has since become quite exaggerated and the stuff of nightmare legend. Um... But, okay, when the doctor arrived, the maid went upstairs to check for Mrs. Borden and found her dead in a pool of her own blood. The authorities determined that Mrs. Borden had been struck 19 times with a hatchet, Mr. Borden 11 times. His nose had been cut off from his face and one of his eyes was sliced in half. When the bodies were later examined, no poison was found in their systems. At first... Lizzie was not a suspect. It wasn't until authorities pursued a lot of leads that turned out to be nothing that they started to suspect Lizzie, basically because she was kind of the only one left. Um, For one, they never found the note that Lizzie claimed Mrs. Borden received, summoning her out of the house, and Mrs. Borden never left in any case. Right, she was there. Right. Um, The day prior to the murders, it was discovered that Lizzie attempted to purchase prussic acid or cyanide, but was denied since she did not have a prescription for it. A friend of Lizzie's claimed to have seen Lizzie burning a dress a few days after the murders because it was stained and could no longer be worn. That was all the judge needed to charge Lizzie with the murders, and her trial was a media circus. Her lawyer claimed she could not have committed the murders because the clothes Lizzie wore when the neighbors arrived were clean, and nowadays some people believe that's because she committed the crimes naked. Oh. Yeah. 
Some witnesses claim to have seen some suspicious characters looking about the Borden home in the days leading up to the murders. This was enough for Lizzie to be declared not guilty. I did not know that. I thought she had been declared guilty. Um, She and her sister inherited their father's estate, and they bought a nice house. Lizzie died in 1927. Theories abound to this day about who killed the Bordens. Some say it was the work of Mr. Borden's illegitimate son, and the Borden sisters covered it up, or that they worked together, or that Lizzie killed them all on her own, but with the blessing of her sister and this brother. Some believe Lizzie and the maid were having an affair and carried out the crime together. Her story has been turned into movies, TV shows, books, and the house where the murders happen is now a museum tourists flock to every year. Our list is growing. It is. Our tour list is growing. Oh, God. Well, (laughs) no, no, okay. I I like, I go on the haunted tours. Yeah, I love haunted tours. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, that's how I've seen the Madame Mulroy house. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also why I know a little bit because I also would watch all of these characters come back to haunt something. Right. Right? Yeah. So in Victorian England, Amelia Dyer, also known as the Reading Baby Farmer, is believed to have killed possibly hundreds of children. She turned to murder as a way to support her daughter after her husband died. She started baby farming, essentially taking infants into her home and being paid to care for and wet nurse them. During this time period, this was an option for women pregnant with an illegitimate child. They could pay a fee and give birth at a baby farm and pay the farm to care for them and arrange an adoption instead of caring for these babies. So Dyer took the money and strangled them, either or starved them, or gave them a concoction laced with opiates called Mother's Friend. Huh, that's a nice title. She did this for 30 years before she was caught and executed by hanging, which is why the estimate of victims is in the hundreds. She'd been caught previously for killing babies, but released after being charged with neglect. See, this is one of the examples where I was like, huh. But I also read a lot of things saying, disturbingly enough, again, that was kind of like... Par for the course? Yeah. Okay. I'm very disturbed. At the beginning of the 20th century, Amy Archer Gilligan ran what seemed to be a nursing home in Connecticut. Suspicions arose about Gilligan after several of her patients named her on their life insurance policies before dying, and authorities discovered she'd purchased a lot of arsenic. Over a five-year period, she poisoned over 48 people, and she was the inspiration behind a Broadway show and later a movie called Arsenic and Old Lace. Good movie. You've seen it? Yeah. Oh, really? I shouldn't be surprised. (laughs) You've seen all of these things. I like weird old movies, so I'm really into like black and white and way back when musicals too. So Okay. All right. Victorian-American Belle Gunness began her killing spree in Indiana by murdering her husband the day of two overlapping life insurance policies. She then drew men in with newspaper ads describing herself as a comely widow, and it also said triflers need not apply. Oh. Um, so as to kill them after marriage or taking out, well, definitely after taking out a life insurance policy. I, th- I guess the marriage wasn't always the case. Mm-hmm. A week after marrying Peter Gunnis, his baby daughter died unexpectedly, and he himself died in an accident not long after. The circumstances were suspicious enough that a coroner investigated but um, uh, Belle was cleared. Her daughter, Jenny, told a classmate, "Um, my mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell a soul. Poisoning and bludgeoning was Gunness's M.O., and her kill count is estimated to be over 40. When she was discovered, or kind of the gig was up, I guess, uh, she, well, it gets kind of confusing. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Some people think 
She faked her own death by setting a house fire, but not before killing her children and leaving their hacked up bodies in their beds to make it more believable. Right. Right. But some people think that um, the farmhand did it. He set the house on fire, and that's certainly what people thought at this time um, because there was a body found of a female headless corpse right. who people assumed to be Gunnis. So there was this trial about the, the farmhand um, because, you know, they discovered 11 bodies in the hog pen, including Gunnis's foster daughter. Yep. Um, and so the, the, there was this trial about the farmhand. He was generally accepted to be the killer, but he claimed Gunnis did it uh, and that Gunnis framed him. She was compared to Lady Macbeth. Her home was called a horror farm or a death garden, and up to 20,000 people visited the farm in a single weekend, kind of during this whole time period because there was so much media coverage right. of it. Um, and vendors there sold ice cream, popcorn, and an item called Gunnis Stew. Yummy. Yes. Um, <laughs> prosecutors in this trial for the farmhand argued that Gunnis had, quote, engaged in the wholesale slaughter of humanity. Um, when investigators realized that the headless body of the woman they assumed to be Gunnis was in fact not her, a panic spread. Sightings of her were reported everywhere. Um, and there's been some semi-recent updates to this one because... Uh, in 2008, forensic anthropologists um, found this body who they think was Gunnis or maybe not Gunnis, but they tested the DNA and they compared it to samples Gunnis had left on a postage stamp. Uh-huh. Um, and the results were inconclusive. Of course. Right. But in 1931, there was another woman who uh, was awaiting trial for poisoning a man um, named Esther Carlson. Mm-hmm. And some people suggest that that was Gunnis. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, rumors abound right. about her. She looked a lot like Gunnis, and she had a photo of three children that looked like Gunnis's children um, and was about the same age. And same MO. Same thing, poisoning. Yeah. So we may never know. So in Europe in the 1920s, Dagmar Overby's job was taking care of children born outside of wedlock, once again. But she instead strangled, drowned, or burned them. She is estimated to have killed up to 25 children. Allegedly, she was only found out when a woman changed her mind and went back for her baby. And Overby couldn't tell her the address where she asked where the child would be placed. The case drew so much publicity and details were so horrific. Her home country of Denmark changed some of their child care laws. At the time, Denmark did not put our women to death, quote-unquote. Yeah. So they changed it to the to execute her? No. They just changed the uh, child care laws, but that's just what they said. They would have put her to death, but, oh. yeah. Um, so that is some examples from <laughs> the past, from, like, the, the far back past. Far back past. Uh, and it brings us to the end of this, our part one look right. at female serial killers. But we do have a part two. Yes. We have a lot more to say. Uh, and you can you can catch that in the coming days. Well, I, I, I don't know when you're listening to this. It could be any time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in the meantime, we would love to hear from you um, if you have thoughts about serial killers or why we are so fascinated with them. Or if you have more details that we may not know about. Or a serial killer we missed. Um, you can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. 
Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 